I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, that is page 1016 in the Blue Bible, 1016 in the Blue Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5. Tonight we're going to look at the first four verses from this chapter and uh, a process that began nearly a year ago. Uh, we'll have another new beginning this evening as we seek to ordain these men uh, to this ruling elder office and deacon office. And so these men have gone through all of the training that we've had for them over this period of time. And now it's not the end, it's a new beginning. And the fun will really begin for them as they uh, have their first session meeting on uh, Tuesday night for the ruling elders. And we look forward to them coming alongside. It has been great getting to know these men and their families. And uh, we look forward to that. So just as a preface to that ordination installation that'll take place after the sermon, I just thought it would be good for us to center a few thoughts around this. I'm not going to preach exhaustively all of the great points that are in these four verses, just a few of the highlights that we see here. So let's uh, read now 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Oh God, as we come to this wonderful passage, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our eyes and that we would see afresh these insights that are here for us in your word, penned by the Apostle Peter, who knew personally our Lord Jesus Christ and who was one of his under-shepherds. And so we ask, oh God, that you would bless us during this time, that you would remind us of the seriousness and of the joy of the undertaking which these men are about to take up this evening. And we pray that you'd bless us, bless all of us as your people, your congregation. We pray that you'd be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this particular passage deals with the office of elder and and perhaps we'll do the deacons at another point in time. But if you... Um, are familiar with our book of church order, then you know that chapters 8 and chapter 9 deal with the office of ruling elder and, and teaching elders and also deacons. And so if you want to learn more about those offices and how they di- differentiate themselves, then you are welcome to do that. But if you know nothing else about the distinction between elders and deacons, it would be good for you simply to know this, that the office of the elder is one of rule and authority. It's one of rule and authority. And the office of a deacon is one of sympathy and service. And so tonight we're going to look at that office of an elder. And again, perhaps in the future sometime, the office of a deacon. But it is an office of rule and authority. And so if you remember nothing else about those distinctions between the two offices, remember that. The office of an elder, rule and authority. The office of a deacon is sympathy and service. And so the deacons... They oversee different components concerning finances, the building, and also our book of church order says that they are to look out for the distressed, the sick, the needy, and the friendless. And so there is spiritual components to it. They don't just swing a hammer. 
They're actually involved in the lives of people. And so it is a very important office to be a deacon in our church. And obviously it is a very important office to have that rule and authority as a ruling elder within the Lord's congregation as well. And so again, BCO 8 and 9 are your friend if you want to learn more about those distinctions. And tonight, as we talk about elder, I'm not going to draw a further distinction, which uh, Presbyterianism does in terms of the office of an elder, where we have teaching elders and we have ruling elders. And so I'm not really going to go into that either. But uh, teaching elders, very quickly, teaching elders are ones who are ordained to the ministry of the word and the sacraments, and so that is vocationally a calling that they have, and the ruling elders are those who will rule with authority in the Lord's congregation and make up the session, the session, that group, that body, that board that oversees oversees that rule and authority, teaching elders and ruling elders together in that. And so again, if you want to learn more about that, I'd love to chat with you about those kind of things. And uh, and to help you to learn more about those distinctions if you desire. And then again, the BCO is available free online on the PCA website, and you are welcome to look those things up there. But what do we learn about the office of elders from this chapter or from these first first four verses that we see here? Well, first of all is the responsibilities that we see of an elder. And we see that in verses 1 in the first part of verse 2. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so that is one of the responsibilities that we see, exercising oversight. And the picture that we have here is like a shepherd who's tending to a flock. And some of you may be familiar with the famous book written by a man named Philip Keller, not Tim Keller, Philip Keller, who wrote a book on Psalm 23. And he brings out a lot of very interesting facts about shepherds and sheep and, and different things. But he says that sheep do not just take care of themselves as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. Sheep are not like many other animals in the animal kingdom. And another distinction that he draws out is that sheep can't find their way home. They have their heads down. They might be grazing in a particular field and they get disorientated. They can't find their way home. They need a shepherd to help find their way home. And we see that pictured wonderfully by our Lord Jesus Christ in the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15 where he brings that aspect out. Sheep need a shepherd to guide them, to lead them, to care for them, to protect them, to rescue them from harm. And sheep will even drink stagnant water. If that's all they can find for water, they will drink stagnant water. They will poison themselves with various shrubs that that would uh, not be good for them to eat, but they'll eat it if they are left unto themselves. And so they need the shepherd to lead them into those green pastures to be able to eat healthy and to be protected in these different ways. And so in the Lord's church, he gives shepherds, elders to care for and to protect and to love the sheep that are under their care. And an elder is to do that at least in two different ways. One is leading and the other is feeding. So in leading, he has authority. He is to rule and to govern and provide oversight. 
And that may sound offensive to some of us, but it's really not. As we see in verse 3, it's not to be a domineering type of leadership. It is not to be uh, something where that authority is lorded over the flock, over the congregation. And in verse 2, we see that he is a shepherd. He is to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That is among you, not under you. There isn't different classes here of people in terms of our nature and character. We are all uh, the sheep of God and, and elders are but ruling or um, under shepherds in that regard. And so there's great tenderness in the shepherd's love and care and protection of the flock that we see here. And so a shepherd needs to lead and a shepherd also needs to feed. You will recall the Apostle Peter, the one who's penned these various words here, and how he denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And then we see in John chapter 21 how he is restored then. And what does the Lord tell him? Well, he is restoring him. Well, he admonishes him to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Sheep need to be fed and they need good food. And elders are to feed the sheep with the word of God. Paul says that an elder must be able to teach. An elder must be able to teach. He has to be able to feed the flock. Why? Because the sheep need to be nourished. They need that nourishment that comes from the Word of God. And the Word of God will be a safeguard in the heart, in the life, in the mind, in the behavior of God's people. And we see that in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God's people need the spiritual life that comes from the Word of God. We need to feast and feed on the Word daily in order to feed ourselves spiritually. And there's a lot of ways that that can be done. We're doing that right now through a sermon, through looking at the Word of God. We can do that in our own personal study times. We do that in a small group Bible study during the week. All these different ways that we feast and feed on the Word of God. But certainly, the office has in view public ministry. The office of an elder has in view the public ministry of the Word of God and feeding the people of God. And so of all the skills that we might want to have, maybe skills and gifts and administration and different things, the one thing that we must have, that the Scriptures say we must have, is that we must be able to teach. That is one of the primary focuses that we see in the word for an elder. It's not the only duty of an elder, but it is a key duty of the office of an elder. We see the importance in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 1 Peter 1, 23. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. And so we see that the Word of God uh, stresses that component of teaching, that elders must be teaching the flock of God and feeding them this good food, this spiritual nourishment that we see here in God's Word for their sanctification. And so we see that stress And by way of application, elders must be leaders in our love for 
the Word of God. We must love the Word. We must feast and feed on the, on the Word first before we are then able to be able to help the congregation to feed on that Word. And so for you as members, you need to hunger for the Word of God. There needs to be a hunger and a desire to learn of God's Word. When you come through those back doors, I hope that you come wanting to be fed from the Word of God. And as you sit there and you're, you're learning and you're listening, that you are then able to apply things by the Spirit in your daily walk, in your daily lives, as you go about walking in this world in ways that want to lift up and magnify the Lord. And so members must be hungry, and those who are elders must be feasting and feeding on the Word as well, hungry to learn of it and hungry to apply it to God's people. And if we don't do that, then we will be malnourished as people in the Lord's church. And the second thing I want to notice tonight is the character that we see of an elder. We see that in the second part of verse 2 and verse 3. In the life of an elder, there needs to be aspiration and there also needs to be perspiration. It's hard work. And so, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The elder is to serve willingly. It's not something that he's going to be coerced into. It is something that he should aspire to. It's not the coercion of a session, or the coercion of his wife, or the coercion of of just seeing a need there and saying, well, nobody else is stepping forward to do this, so I'm going to do it. No, it's a calling where the Lord places this calling on a man's life to pursue these different things. And we see First Timothy 3 calling this aspiration noble. It's a good desire to have. And so the first thing that has to be there is this aspiration to aspire to the office. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 1 Timothy 3.1 says. And then secondly, he needs to serve eagerly. This is the perspiration part, the hard work part. He should aspire to the office and then he should be able and willing to work in that office. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Eager for the work itself and not for what the work might bring him, whether it's money or whether it's power or whether it's position or self-promotion, control, all of the various idols that could be held up for wanting such an office. No, all of these different idolatries can take many forms, but the one common denominator in those is selfishness. And the one thing that we need in elders is selflessness, to be serving as God's under-shepherds. And so to be An elder is to be a servant. It's to be a servant leader. And our Lord came to serve, not to be served. And so we need to follow that example in humility that we see in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing and serving that way, elders become an example to the flock. An example to the flock that we see. Not domineering, but humble. They are to be examples of the chief shepherd that we see in verse 4, following the lead of our Lord Jesus Christ and how he served. And you will recall in John chapter 13 how the Lord Jesus Christ put the towel around his waist. The towel around the waist is a symbol of a servant in a house. And that's what Jesus did as he washed the disciples' feet and showed that great humility. Elders are to be under shepherds, under the leadership of 
the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. So humility is not just for elders, it's for everyone. And we see that in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If we want God's favor as people, we don't want to be opposed by God. And the surest and quickest way to be opposed by God is to inflate ourselves with pride. No, we need to humble ourselves. Humility is a virtue that we all should be cultivating. And Philippians 2 verse 3 reminds us that we ought to esteem others as more significant than ourselves. And that doesn't mean that we have a low view of ourselves, but we have a high view of other people. And we want to serve other people for their needs to be met and not necessarily our own needs to be met. And so we see that the Bible places this great emphasis on the character that an elder has to have. Not necessarily great skills and great talents, but this great likeness, Christ-likeness, godliness that we see, humility that we see pictured in the Bible. And you will recall that great uh, quote from Robert Murray McShane that says, in great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. And so as elders, we don't have to have all of the answers. We don't have to have great high levels of education. Those things are good to have, yes. But what we need more than anything else are elders that are Christ-like, that are walking in holiness and godliness and seeking to um, serve God's people with all that they have, pursuing Christ-likeness along the way, to pursue a greater love and likeness to Jesus Christ should be our task and calling. And that is what God will bless. He promises to bless that, humility. And that is the high calling of every person who calls himself a Christian. Humility and Christ-likeness. We all should be pursuing that as a goal, to walk in a worthy manner of the gospel. And so in humility, pursue love and likeness to Jesus. That is the application point for all of us, whether you're pursuing that office of an elder or not, all of us should be pursuing Christ-likeness. The third thing I want us to to look at is the motivations for an elder. And we see that in verse 1 and verse 4. And first, we see that there's a promise in verse 4 that is held out to those who serve well as elders. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's a sobering reminder for us that Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, will he find us faithful? Regardless of your calling or station of life, if the Lord Jesus Christ to return tonight, this hour, will he find us faithful? Now that is one of the promises that we see, that Christ is going to bring a reward with him to elders, that they are going to receive this crown of glory. And there are many sorrows in the life of an elder. There are people that you see who walk away from the Lord, who don't want to submit to authority or to discipline. There are family situations that are heartbreaking. There are health situations that are heartbreaking. Many different things. There are also many joys in the life of an elder. You see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ and bow their knee and submit to Him. That's awesome to see that. It's awesome to see... Sinners saved, it's awesome to see saints that grow in grace. It's awesome to see covenant children grow up 
in the Lord's church and to claim that faith as their own and to continue walking in this world as the children of God, that is a great blessing to see, a wonderful blessing. There are many joys in this life of an elder, but even if there were no joys in this life, it would still be worth it because of that crown of glory, because of the faithfulness with which elders are to walk in the Lord's church, that crown of glory that we see here pictured, and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Those should be words that all of us desire to hear, and those should be words, or this thought of reward should be something that we are all pursuing. And so that's one of the motivations for elders. There is reward for serving Christ and serving His church well, and we all should be pursuing that reward. But secondly, as we conclude and then move to uh, the ordination installation that we have here, I want to draw your attention back to the first word in verse 1, that is the word so. Everything that Peter has said previously comes into play here when he says so. He now applies all that has been said. And what did he say? What did he say that makes him now turn to the elders and say, shepherd the flock of God. Well, we read earlier from chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. If you were to pick one word that summarizes perhaps all of 1 Peter, certainly that portion of Scripture, it is that word suffering. We see it repeated often there. We see in verse 12 these fiery trials, and then we see in verse 13 Christ's suffering, and we see in verse 14 insulted for the name of Christ, and in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, suffering, suffering, suffering throughout this particular passage that we see. And how are we to deal with that? Well, we see suffering in verse 19. We see suffering in verse 1, linking these things together, this theme together here. Verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will. Not all suffering is coming to us as an attack from Satan or as a result of our bad choices and consequences of those bad choices. Sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. We spend an awful lot of, tra- an awful lot of time in our lives, perhaps, trying to avoid suffering, to make things as easy and comfortable as possible. And perhaps the Lord has different designs sometimes. It is God's will sometimes for us to suffer. And so, When we are suffering for righteousness' sake, we see in verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. So the task of elders, really all of us, is to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, to encourage people, in verse 19, to entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in the midst of suffering. We encourage people to entrust their souls to a faithful creator in the midst of suffering. God has ordained suffering in our lives to sanctify us, to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to make us more godly and Christ-like in this world. And God's people need encouragement and help to not be overcome by the suffering of this world. They need help. They need the under-shepherds to remind them and point them and focus them in on the Lord Jesus Christ, to look to Christ and to be overcome instead by the promises purchased for us by His blood. That's the task of an elder that we see here, to point people to Christ. And so Peter says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Help them, lead them, 
Care for them, love them, pray for them, cry with them. Strengthen the weak knees and the weary hands and show them the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who does not despise us, but sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Who's provided the word, the sacraments and the prayer as we look to Christ and all that is offered to us in the gospel. He who is seated at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling for our good, even in the midst of pain and in suffering, subduing all of his and our enemies in his good and perfect time, and who at last will receive us in our true home, his heavenly kingdom with great joy. That is the task of the elder, to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the people of God, that is all of our tasks to point one another, to point the world to the only hope that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no greater privilege than that, to be able to do that, and to be able to have an office, as I do as a teaching elder, to do that on a weekly basis, to point the flock of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful privilege that is for all of us to be used in that way. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you that you bear with ones like us who might be feeble in our attempts to point people to Christ, who might feel as though we are failures in it, and yet, Lord, you promise to bless that as we walk in humility and serve you to the utmost of our giftings and abilities to honor you in whatever talents you've given us, whether it's one or ten or a hundred You promise to bless those things and so we do not want to belittle that in any way that you will use us for your glory's sake, that you will use these men that we are about to ordain and install as ruling elders and deacons as they seek and desire to glorify your name and to point others to Christ. Lord, we ask that you would bless their endeavors, that you would bless us as a church through them. In Christ's name, amen.